Welcome to the Puddling Process Podcast, hosted by Greg Hall or Gordon Whitehead, exploring smart communities and startups. Hi, and welcome to Puddling Process Podcast. I'm Greg Hall, and with me today is Gunilla Burrows, a founder of Gender Matters and chair of 1804, in fact, founding chair of 1804, a Internet of Things, gender tech and smart city co-working space. We have a great show for you for today, and we're recording from the recently opened and renovated 1804 space. And we're going to be talking about diversity, inclusiveness in the tech industry. And of course, Canella was uh, a recipient of the Joe Award in 2016, which recognised people who have made an outstanding contribution. And certainly, from uh, your CV, Canella, uh, you're nobody who's been uh, resting at all. You, you <laughs> have you always been sort of completely focused and sort of getting to that point of achieving those things or did that come later in life for you as you sort of progressed through becoming going into engineering and, and so forth I mean where did your story start in that respect yeah uh, interesting well welcome welcome to 1804 it's exciting to be able to do do this here um, I suppose choosing to become an engineer is probably a moment in my history that was very important. My father was an engineer, so that's fairly typical of female engineers um, to have had some exposure to engineering because in society in general or in the um, careers advising area, it's not often um, a career that women are led um, down. Although that's happening more often mm. now, which I think is tremendous and I think is really important. But at that time, it was my father and he actually um, was very surprised as well at how negative the industry was to women. I mean, he was quite concerned that his daughter was going into it. But I think that those early experiences of that really started beginning that focus on, no, this is something that I want to do. And, and um, you know, it's, I suppose it's some advice that I would give women in general in this, is that you, you've got to keep pursuing your dreams, however hard it is. Women or I do it in the startup area too, with, mm. with um, entrepreneurs as well. It's that persistence that's so in, important. Yeah, so engineering and... Um, and I think that I've had a very interesting career in that um, not a very traditional one. I, um, as a female then, um, moving through motherhood, I had um, all the issues that part-time work um, took um, on my career and... Um, but, you know, I, I think... I knew even during those times that I wanted to keep in touch and I think that was really important and Engineers Australia actually was a really important part of that um, area um, over that time and you know began my governance work because that was um, you know working with um, corporate star uh, um, boards and um, becoming a director was uh, part yes. of that process. Yes. So Australian, the Australian International Company Directors, is that...? 
Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's right. The Australian Institute of Company Directors. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that was yeah. So I mean, that's terrific way of um, moving into the the industry. And uh, and there is women on boards is another organisation that I think in Australia that's doing amazing things Mm. um, in that area. Well, I mean, looking at it, uh, engineer, entrepreneur, investor. Founding chair of 1804, um, co-founder of Blue Zone, uh, founding member of Nation Women in Engineering Committee, and founder of Gender Matters, which is your consultancy uh, work, which is, I guess, what we're really particularly interested in, in yeah. discussing uh, this afternoon. And But also in, in the light of the emerging development here in the, the Hunter, but in particular Newcastle, there's the smart city development. The role of of women in particular, and in the way that they are going to be part of the changing face of this region, this city, for example, smart cities. Now, you recently uh, penned a, an article which appeared as an op-ed piece in the Newcastle Herald, and you identified some three areas yeah. that uh, you're very passionate about, but you think at the core of the things necessary to really get to a stage where there is change. So what was the, what was the theme of that article? Well, it was really, why is it taking so long? Because we really have, for the last three decades or more, um, internationally, been trying very hard in organisations to make change. And I think there has been genuine want by everyone for the um, opportunity for women to move into the workforce and succeed in the workforce. I mean, I think has been there and been there by organisations. But there are, to me, from what I've seen, three pretty fundamental um, reasons why it's not happening. And, And it's partly, I think, the need just to acknowledge it and also partly to recognise that we are all responsible and that we do need all to be involved for this change. I think we've been attempting to do, um, particularly in work, the workforce, too many quick fixes. Um, and they won't work in this area because we are talking about really strong embedded beliefs and cultural norms that, you know, are in that we have from childhood and they are reinforced every day and I know that as a as a female engineer having felt that many times um, that I'm not wanted or welcome in particular places so I think that um, the three areas are really that um, gender is not just a women's problem that women have to solve. Um, that I think we have to really acknowledge those deep um, cultural and workplace beliefs and that, um, that we are still living in patriarchal systems. And there are, uh, you know, there's a, a, a whole story behind that that we've really got to unpack and all of us have really got to understand so that we can support each other in that. Because, you know, as the first point is, men have to change just as much as women if we're really going to succeed in this area. So, you know, I think that's important. And the third one is really, um, and I I found this really the hardest one myself to, to work on, and that is that we are all 
um, that women are just as likely to make gendered, gender stereotype decisions as men are. Because we've grown up in this same culture. We've been taught think leader, think male. You know, think nurturer, think female. I mean, that has been our cultural belief. So, and it's, it is so, you know, our, it's in our unconscious um, mind and our unconscious mind will engage automatically and will, and is much quicker at thinking than our conscious mind. So, you know, when we are making decisions in workplaces, it's often our unconscious mind that's quite involved in that. Um, and I think that's really important in this area to start unpacking and, and working together on helping each other move forward. Because you mentioned there was a project that you started at the university, uh, which was the uh, Nation Women in Engineering yeah. Committee. Yeah. And in that time, I guess, um, so 2007, it really was a whole energy around these changes coming forward. But now you're saying that really it's, it's got stuck, it's still not progressing as fast, or are you disappointed? Or well, it's always been stuck because we've not right. really, we've never drilled that deep in accepting those issues. We've, you know, the, the first kind of real um, programs in workplaces, I think, that were attempting to look at gender equity was something called the deficit model. And that was really saying that women are the problem. They have to change to fit into the culture. So that, of course, then denies this whole um, issue that gender is about men and women, you know, you know, and that we both, we all need to change, we all need to engage and make a workplace better for, for all of us. Because your consultancy is called Gender Matters. It is, yes. And I guess there was a deliberate decision in calling it that. It is, very much. Was that apparent when you first came up with the concept or has that evolved? No, well, I, I mean, this has been a parallel career for me. It's been my double burden. That's not usually how the double burden word is used um, for women because the double burden is generally that, you know, women have the family responsibilities as well as work responsibilities. But this double burden for me is being a female engineer of the 80s and um, when there were... Thinks uh, nationally about 3% of women were going into engineering in the early 80s, um, that I've sort of taken it on myself to attempt to understand what the issues are and um, try and make changes to, you know, for all of us, to, to make it better for all of us. Because I could, I've managed to get through, I think partly growing up with brothers helped. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I've been maybe one of the lucky ones who, who could, decided to have, to see this as an amazing career. And I've loved my career um, and where it's taken me and what I've been, the opportunities that I've had within it. Um, but I, I have, I've also seen how tough it is. 
Um, I've been lucky enough to work in academia and in industry. So I've, I've sort of sat on both sides of the fence in a way. And it was through the academic career that I began this um, journey in, it's really self-discovery. Mm. It, it was really unpacking all that, that, those norms that I have learnt and realised they're wrong. No, you know, why do, should I think that, um, you know, I, I mean, I often made mistakes about decisions and couldn't understand why was, it, why was I thinking that um, person um, should be in that role and not that, you know, a, a female in this case, you know. So it took, I really had to challenge myself. And that's, I suppose it's through that journey that I've recognised what, you know, these fundamental issues that we need to mm. um, really face, all of us, if we really want to make change. Mm. Mm. And I, and, um, I have um, said that I think we've really got, workplaces have to follow the same sort of process as they've done with occupational health and safety. Mm. It's, it was, it's that same change of um, belief and understanding that we are all responsible for that, um, the safety in the workplace. It's exactly the same within for diversity and for So the responsibility falls, as we were talking earlier before we um, came on air, was uh, the puddle of water. If I see that, then it's equally my responsibility to make others aware of that yeah. as it is for the next person that comes along because the next person could be slipping over it. So I've actually failed in my duty of care yeah. to my community, basically, in the workplace. Yeah. So you're saying that... Uh, this is the same attitude, the same approach that can be, should be applied in terms of ensuring that all people of, of their skill level are appropriately in a position where they're recognised, regardless of gender. Is that... Absolutely. And because I think, you know, before you make a decision, uh, particularly about people, which is often where the gender inequity occurs mm. in the workplace, because there's a, being a, a decision, either a promotion or a you know, uh, who should get a particular job or assignment or whatever that all might influence, you know, how your career progresses. I mean, when you're making those kind of decisions, there are so many stereotype biases that come in um, that you're not aware of. And, you know, in a way, we weren't so conscious about um, being, you know, looking out for safety issues um, for ourselves and for our colleagues. Um, in the past, but you know, I think it was recognised from the board level down um, throughout the the organisation. Everyone had to start recognising the issue about safety. Whereas it's the same thing with gender. All of us have to make the decisions. It's been shown in research that um, most of us. In fact, it was a. I, I can't remember the statistics offhand, but there was in the 90s percent of us would all all said yes. Of course, we would stop as soon as we saw gender, any gender discrimination. We would we'd say something. About zero percent. I can't remember again. It was very very low. Did anything actually? Everyone walked away from those situations because without having a language, I suppose, to um, 
work on a situation in the workplace, it's very difficult because people can say, oh, well, it's just their personality or, you know, there's a lot of excuses that can, that can come up to, to um, sort of, I to suppose... Mask. Yeah, a situation, whereas, you know, it really should have been challenged as a, you know, taking on a gender stereotype and maybe unconsciously by a person, but because, it, you know, it, we do have these strong unconscious beliefs mm -hmm. around gender. And it's just, you know, all of us need to stop and think about it in decision making. And when we see it happening, we need to um, speak up. Now, that's an interesting point in terms of speaking up and also having the wherewithal to speak up. Because the, I guess with, if you use the, the analogy of work health and safety, there's also the legal implications of not doing something. And that's, let's say, that's the big stick. Mm. Because there is financial impost. If you don't do this, then yeah. this will happen, this, and you will be culpable. You could actually be jailed. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, the other flip side of that, or the other parallel to that is also that if you do see something, then you have a plan, there's something that's saying it. Yeah. But to some extent, do we need to have that, or, in, or is there even a language around that, to implying that to gender, mm. that where you could actually put that in place? Yeah, I think there is, yeah. And it, there, look, I, I think it's already beginning, you know, with the um, uh, acts that are, you know, in the Discrimination Act and, um, and what is being implemented in workplaces around bullying, mm. you know, I mean, it's a similar kind of um, language uh, and, um, you know, thought process around that. Um, it's, it's just interesting that we're very sensitive about raising, you know, gender specifically. Um, I mean, I think it's been great that we've raised the issue around bullying because some of it is very subtle. Mm. And I mean, that is what you see in gender. I mean, you know, they, they talk about, for women, death by a thousand cuts. And I have felt that, you know, that it is just those little people have said, I mean, not so obviously, but you know, you're not good at masculinity, you're not good at masculinity, you're not good at masculinity. When I hear that a thousand times, it doesn't matter how strong I am saying, look, I've done a PhD now in, you know, underwater communication technology, you know, quite mathematical. Yes. And people are still inferring that I'm not good at maths. So that doesn't make sense. But it's just, it's because there's no expectation that women should be good at maths. And, and it's not, look, it's often not intentional, but it, it is in a way because we're not, um, you know, I suppose accepting that there, the, this is potentially happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, well, let's, let's uh, we're going to revisit this because yeah. uh, we're going to be having a discussion about some of the statistics, which mm. I think underscore some of the issues. Yeah. But we'll just quickly go to an uh, ad break. Are you a nerd or a creative? Are you feeling unappreciated or a bit pissed off that no one thinks you're brilliant? Do you need validation from industry peers to feel confident in your work? 
then the 2018 new awards for digital creatives could be the remedy you're looking for. Entering the new awards will help hypersensitive executives feel more appreciated. Entries open April 30th. For more information, go to www.thelunaticsociety.com.au or call Gordon on 0410596698. Just coming back, welcome back to the Puddling Podcast. And in fact, the Puddling Process <laughs> Podcast is a technical term. Yes. Okay. Apparently, I found out that it was a technique to remove, uh, to decarbonise the pig iron. Oh, so to, yeah, the puddling process. And so to decarbonise it so it actually becomes stronger yeah. and not brittle. Yes, of course. And it was called the puddling, yeah. puddling process. So I think that's Gordon's way of his uh, <laughs> north of England <laughs> effort to impose... Ah, <laughs> oh, like this is the way we do it there. Yeah. It's the lunatics coming out. <laughs> That's <isn't it>? right. <laughs> Your fingers are reaching out in little places. <laughs> but I think the, the, you were saying to me that certainly language, but one of the things that in terms of language that stands out are the statistics. Yeah. And you were mentioning there's some very interesting um, yeah. points that you wanted to talk and mention about. Yeah, well, I think that, I suppose, you know, it's always where I turn when people start saying, you know, is there still a problem in the workplace? Um, and, you know, even though I'd love to be able to say there, there isn't, I think statistically, you know, it's clear that we still have a problem. I mean, if you start with education, that the last 30 years, more women have graduated from Australian universities than men. Yet, you know, there are something like nine times less likely to um, move into senior management positions. Because only 16% currently in Australia or something like that is our CEO, women CEOs. And, you know, less than 30% are in key management positions. And in our current organisational structure, career pathway is very dependent on being in those key management positions. So to, to flow through, to become a CEO is, you know, a fairly standard way, whereas there are so many reasons why women aren't taking on those roles and the statistics show that they aren't. And that is a serious, I think, problem. Um, and shows the, the, the issues that, that we have. Um, you know, there are the OECD put out a report at the end of last year um, called The Pursuit of Gender Equality. And, you know, they found that, you know, women are much more likely to work part time than men, um, they're less likely to be promoted, which, I mean, I think that. That, that nine times and the, the, the statistics of CEOs are, are there. They are more likely to face discrimination and, less li and earn less than men. So the pay gap, I think, is still uh, you know, a big issue. But the other part of that report that I thought was really important, it was talking about mothers and fathers and that mothers were found to have significantly they were significantly more likely to experience negative effects on their pay and their career. 
mothers, mothers compared to fathers. fathers. Yeah. yeah. And that is, I think, something that, you know, another part of this puzzle, <laughs> and it is very complex, um, puzzle that we do need to, to, to challenge. That, it's, you know, it's parenthood and that fathers should have just as many rights and responsibilities in the homes as, as women are. You know, despite women moving into the workforce, I think it's about 46% of our Australian workforce are women. Mm. They still carry the major burden of family, both children and parents. Um, I mean, in, it's something like 70% of the burden. So even though they're, you know, really in the workforce in equivalent numbers, I mean, some people might say we haven't won because we've actually really created this double burden that I talked so, about before <laughs> yeah. because we're, you know, we're actually um, working harder than we ever have. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's, that's an important challenge for workplaces and for why I keep, I go back to it's all of our responsibility and that men are just as, you know, important in this discussion and engagement in it as, as women are. Mm. And that's, that conversation about in, ensuring that men are being taking as much responsibility and being engaged is, is being quite current in the last two years, particularly with senior executives. There's the group, an Australian group, that includes uh, yeah. champions, champions of change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there an equivalent here in the Hunter? Is that being expressed anywhere that you can see or heard of in your work? No, no, I haven't seen anything specifically in the Hunter, but um, I mean, I think the Male Champions of Change initiative is critical and really important. But I also say that it is not enough just having leadership in this area is not enough. So I'm going to I re repeat, we all need to be involved. So we all need the training. And it, it won't change just with this leadership. It's about embedding these um, systems and ways of thinking, really, like we have with occupational health and, health and safety, mm. embedded these in our workplaces. Mm. Well, you mentioned uh, the uh, was the deficit model, but also there was the the Keith Mann yes. story. So tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Well, I mean that's a beautiful sort of um, example of how women have attempted to challenge um, the status quo, really, and and to move forward and to be persistent. And I love it because they, these two women have done that. Um, so they were attempting to start an um, online um, company, so selling um, products online. And so the two of them um, wrote emails and uh, tried to connect with investors, with the tech community to get you know, some um, support and business development. And they were not getting anywhere. No one was replying or they were replying several days later. So they came up with this idea that we would um, uh, create a fake person. So Keith Mann was created as an online um, director of this company um, to help them um, get answers back. And I think 
you know, they wanted to spread this because of, they were so surprised at the change in response. When Keith Mann sent a message, he almost got a reply immediately. It was very useful reply. It had some other suggestions and, and things like that. So, I mean, this is just an example of um, how, what, what women are facing in the, um, in the startup community and more broadly, I think, in, in organisations. And I think that the, and you've identified the real challenge there for anyone is, and in fact, that, that use of a male uh, gender to progress something mm. is being used out throughout history. Numerous authors or yes. uh, female authors have used uh, written under male pseudonyms in order to be published and actually were very, very successful and no, none were the wiser yes. for it. Yeah. And I think uh, coming back to that earlier point you were saying about our, the way we're wired, yeah. perhaps, or even hardwired yeah. around that whole survival instinct, perhaps, yes. I don't know. Yeah, no. But I mean, that's the, the big, big challenge there. So what is, what's the message you're saying to those people when you go into do consultancy? Mm. What's, what's the process you go through? Well, I think we, it's, a, it's about trying to create a, um, it is trying to create a language um, that organisations can use. And as I say, a, a process around um, incorporating um, gender within decision making. So I think that's, Gender Matters has been set up predominantly to try and support organisations in that process. Mm. So unpacking the issues um, from the board, you know, throughout the organisation, um, because we believe that everyone needs to engage in this and understand it, and and support each other in in progressing it forward. But specifically around um, looking at how do you identify the kind of biases that or you know, the, the stereotypes that you might be um, unconsciously incorporating in your decision. So first it's about identifying them and then we talk about how do you mitigate them. So in a decision-making process, and that can be anything from you know, promotions, recruitment, decisions about uh, you know, which person might go on a uh, particular uh, assignment or not. It's recognising, you know, how are you making that decision and what influences are happening that you are unconscious of or are, that are coming in automatically. Um, yeah, so it's we're very targeted around that decision making because I think that's, if we can start changing that, I think it's important. And then, of course, supporting organisations around um, that idea that organ, you know, that um, that all of the employees should take responsibility, and it's the board that should be enforcing practices, um, not only policies. Because actually, what we find is most organisations have amazing gender policies. Fantastic! If you read them, you think, "Wow, this is amazing!" You know, this is terrific. But it's putting it into practice that is what's really hard to do. Um, 
Yeah. So I think you know it's it's about those those two. What what's the response often from people you've been consulting or yeah. working with when you identify these big gaps? You know, they got these fantastic policies, beautifully worded, beautifully mm. written, but the practice, the delivery. It's like that. The uh, I overheard uh, with a great program, Richard Eighty. Uh, on the Radio National, and he talked, uh, where two executives were talking about, there are two conversations. The conversation that happens at the formal level, and then there's the yeah. cafe conversation. <laughs> yeah. the, the reality between, and, and how a lot of people who really could be real drivers are actually held out from that process of having making real change in the place because they're either seen as troublemakers or they're difficult personalities and all that sort of stuff. So, in terms of the response you get um, when you've pointed out this, what's what's generally the reaction? Are they a bit surprised? Are they defensive? Are they? Yes. Well, I mean, generally, those that have um, that we work with uh, recognise that change needs to happen, mm. and are, are general, generally struggling with the, what change to make. So they love to have. A practice and a, a process that they can work through. Um, I mean, of course, and, and therefore, I suppose most of the organisations that engage us are wanting to change. But that doesn't mean everyone in the organisation wants to do it. And there are, you know, of course, then a lot of, um, you know, work that has to happen. Um, and I was going to say, you know, softly and carefully because. And I think this is really important that it's it's a it's a journey. Um, when you think that, in a way, our cultural norms have trained us our whole life to this point on a particular set of beliefs, it's it's not going to happen overnight. Um, we've got to do it carefully and. Um, with patience and, you know, support. And I think that, you know, that, that is a real challenge um, for organisations. But, you know, I, I, I go back to occupational health and safety. I think that's amazing when you, if you, you know, look at that history of how that's changed in our organisations, which is absolutely incredible incredibly important and you know I, I really think that's been a win for society mm. um, we've, we've we need to to take the organizations through a similar um, process. process what's interesting you as an engineering identifying work health and safety <laughs> is to be hey this, this is the model and this is the language <laughs> well it is because I mean yeah why not follow something that has has been successful, very successful. Um, and has probably and really very similar I think fundamental um, you know causes in the past of why it was a problem um, you know to to a solution I mean of mm. course there there will be other you know detailed uh, understanding of the issues that might be a bit different mm. but in general I think the the process um, is similar, and I suppose I do like to use it because I, I like to 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 think of something recently that has succeeded, mm -hmm. where we've seen you know organisations across the country 
just make this amazing change. You just changed the right culture. Yeah, culture and um, yeah, the, the you know the value that they've put into individuals, um, mm -hmm. which I think is important. I'm talking with uh, Ganella Burrows, and we're talking about diversity, uh, her program that she works with Gender Matters, but also how it translates to us here in the region. And the one thing we want to talk about is what companies are doing at rights and why. You know, can you identify? anyone here that you think are, are doing a really good job around that in terms of finding that balance of, of really bringing people through having a, a, a good gender mix so to speak i find it newcastle is an interesting case <laughs> having had such a strong engineering and heavy engineering background i think it has a subculture around this that I think has been a, an issue, has, does hold it back, and that I have recognised, um, compared to other, um, at least city region, I mean, you know, capital city regions, there is that uh, difference. Um, so it's probably not easy to say, except maybe I can, um, I can say something about my own company, um, the Blue Zone Group, um, which is an engineering company. My husband and I set it up 17 years ago to stay in Newcastle because we loved um, the city and really wanted to stay and luckily had an, um, a business opportunity to, to do that. Um, being an engineering company, very conscious about um, employing female engineers and attempting to have a balanced technical workforce. And um, we've been reasonably successful. There are times that we've had 50% um, gender balance in the technical area. But it ebbs and flows because as a SME, uh, of course, we have a, um, a smaller work workforce. Mm -hmm. But I suppose it's I believe, you know, that it can be done, and I believe that it's a really, um, it's a wonderful, it creates a wonderful workplace. I mean, it's, it's all those benefits of um, gender diversity and diversity um, that we talk about in, in business. So I guess the, the challenge for you, from a perspective of being a small uh, business, uh, is those ebbs and flows. What do you think, what have you learned in dealing with those that you would be able to apply now with that wisdom? You know, what, what changes could you make to enable you to even out those ebbs and flows? Or is that just part and parcel of the business you're in and particularly trying to meet those technical issues in terms of skills and training and so forth and the people available? Well. I mean, I, I suppose the big thing is the pipeline. I mean, the pipeline is still really tough for, for women in STEM. I mean, in engineering, um, I mean, the number of female professional engineers have increased, I think it's around 12% now in Australia. But those starting in the degree um, it's, it's still really around 15, 16%. It hasn't really changed 
you know, for the last 15 years, where it, it really plateaued in about 2002. Um, so, you know, it, we do need to keep encouraging um, more women coming through through the pipeline, and and we definitely are um, very. We f we think that's a really important part of being a, a business and part of being in the community. Um, so we're very supportive of the Me program that mm. happens. The Me program, what's that? It, it's the it's a program that um, uh, RDA now run, and it it is um, helping students from you know high school through to. Um, you know, into their higher education to get experiences in the workplace. Mm. And it's actually been a very successful program in the Hunter with that. So I think, yeah, we're very pleased to, to be involved with that. And of course then, you know, tapping into the, the university and to, you know, supporting the female students in whatever we, way we, we can mm. um, is really important. So, so it really comes back to the earlier point about the need for everyone to start doing lifting, yeah. as opposed to just this whole notion of oh, it's, it's a woman's problem, women need to fix themselves, blah, 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 push on through. In fact, it's in title, in to, uh, a total yeah. community response to it. Absolutely, yeah. We've got these community and social norms that are, that are embedded in us, you know, the pink, for girls and blue mm. for boys. It's not going to change overnight. I'm not expecting it to change overnight, but we've, all, we've got to begin the conversation mm. and we've got to recognise that we, you know, we need to support younger um, individuals around that. I mean, I've, had, I've, I've now been involved with this for three decades and I have heard the whole way along of it's, always, it's going to change. You know, this next generation, it's going to change because we've had, you know, feminism, we all know these issues and stuff like that. It hasn't changed. I mean, look at the statistics. Yes, it's, it is, it's changed a little bit, but gee, it's still a struggle. Mm. I mean, from my side of the fence anyway, I can still see the struggle that women are facing in this area. And I think, you know, so I go back to my three fundamental you know, issues about what, what needs to change and I, until those happen, um, it will be slow. We will, very, very slow. And, you know, because if, if you look at some statistics, they say that we won't see gender equity, you know, for another century and a half. Really? Century and a half? Absolutely. If, if, on the rate that we're going. Yes. And, Correct. you know, and, 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 yeah, you look at those sort of projector... And in some statistics, yeah, that's what they're saying. Which you find very odd because in terms of a generation, I'm just thinking about uh, my children, uh, my son, uh, 21, uh, my other daughters around 30 and mm -hmm. late uh, 20s. And their whole attitude is, is very different to, say, attitude of men my age in their 50s and the way they would have responded to women. And I'm thinking, well... Yeah. You know, a century and a half. I mean, we are so hardwired in terms yeah. of that gender-specific framework yeah. that it, it seems very disturbing. So, who are the trailblazers, though? Who are the people who are kind of cutting through this that you're identifying out there who could be are making a difference? Well, I, I think current. I mean, Catherine Fagg mm -hmm. on the Reserve Bank board. She's a chemical engineer. 
um, and amazing. She's president of um, Chief Executive Women and involved with the Male Champions of Change. Um, Kathy Foley, she speaks out um, often from CSIRO and just wonderful, um, you know, in her, what she's doing in the gender space. Um, she's a patron for Curious Minds, which is a program that I'm also involved with, which is, you know, supporting year uh, nine and ten girls from around Australia. Mary O'Kane, mm, mm. um, the New South Wales Chief Scientist and Engineer. Yes. I mean, you know, she's amazing. Um, uh, having been a Vice-Chancellor as well, I mean, you know, it's the same issues in the senior leadership in academia as it is in organisations and, you know, she's been doing some amazing things there. Um, in terms of Engineers Australia, um, Julie Hammer um, is, was um, the most senior female in the Air Force um, when she left, um, when she retired from the Air Force and was the first national president, female president of Engineers Australia, um, maybe six years ago. Um, and they've since had another female, um, Marlene Kanga, who yes, has yes. just taken on the presidency of WUFIO, the World Federation of Engineering Organisations. WUFIO. WUFIO, they call it, yeah. So this World Federation, it, I mean, this is amazing, you know, women that um, are doing great things. But, I mean, and then, of course, politics, you know, Julie Gillard, Julie Bishop. I mean, one of tw Julie Bishop was one of 20. That is not a representation mm. of our community. Mm. Um, Tanya Plevisek, you know, these are the women that are, you know, coming up in politics. But there's too few of them. You know, they're, they're these amazing women um, doing amazing things. So very capable, but have got through the, 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 the challenges um, of male-dominated areas, have been able to find their way in that. Um, but, you know, as I, as I was saying, it's hard for them often, unless they're trained in this area, to recognise that they're not making decisions that are for the stereotype, so the more patriarchal workplaces or male-dominated workplaces, because that's, un you know, it's an unconscious decision that they're making, think leader, think male. Mm. I mean, that, that's, unless they're really training themselves to, to be aware of their decisions in that gender space, um, they potentially are making those decisions. This is the, this idea of, you know, women um, as, a, as a token women on boards is terrible. I mean, it's, it's a horrible term for a start, but it's so hard for these women who are meant to be the only voice, the women's voice on, on boards. I mean, that is a tough call um, because they have to challenge their own beliefs. They, I mean, consciously they might obviously believe in, you know, women should have equal opportunities, but unconsciously because of the way we've all been grown up, you know, have grown up in our society, unconsciously could be making the very same decisions that the, a man in that position would. 
So it's very complex. It's a really difficult area. And I think it's really difficult for these women that are alone on, uh, you know, in these areas. I was going to ask about who are the male champions that are standing out then. Yeah. Uh, and where, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah. Can you name anybody? <laughs> <laughs> Is anyone standing out for you? Um, well, I, my, I have to say my, um, my colleague um, in Gender Matters is male. So we set up our um, consultancy with 50% female and male. Um, so Mark Toner, and he has, he was a CEO of a major engineering consultancy, um, Arca Caverna, which I mean is a global engineering consultancy. Um, and he admits now, having gone through this journey about gender, the, the decisions he was making were, you know, very, um, you know, were not appropriate. Um, that he was being influenced by um, these gender stereotypes. And the whole culture. And this whole, whole idea, I mean, he, uh, he, he would say, you know, that there are no women around the board table. Well, that's because women don't want to be there, isn't that? You know, or, you know, that was his belief, which I think a lot of, um, you know, these myths have, have developed in workplaces um, rather than, you know, that women haven't had the opportunity to get there and the systems have not allowed them to get there in a way. So, um, so of course, I mean, I think that uh, he's wonderful. I have to um, say my husband, <laughs> Darren has had to put up with um, a feminist um, in this area, as an engineer himself, he has. It is a, 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 bit, of a, a bit of a challenge, but uh, I mean, again, the male champions um, of change. So these CEOs now that are stepping up and putting their name and their companies on the line for changing, um, I think, are, are really wonderful in, in Australia. Yeah. Well, Ganella, mm -hmm. thank you very much for your time. It's been fantastic. But clearly, it's a conversation that's not going to end here. It continues on. Um, mm -hmm. But I, before we go, I uh, just say thank you very much for being and part of one of our guests here on the Puddling Process podcast. Yeah, I get it right. But I'd just like to say thanks to our audience, uh, thanks to our guests and to our sponsors. And uh, we look forward to joining us for the next show. <laughs>